If you happen to be uh, new or newer to New Life, my name is uh, Chris, I'm one of the pastors here. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty pumped up that spring is almost here. It has just felt kind of like the endless uh, gray winter. Uh, spring tends to be one of my favorite seasons of the year because for me, spring means new life and new beginnings. And you start to see the, the new flowers and the new buds on trees and you get the, the warm spring days with the gentle breeze. And I, I just love spring. And also, for some of you, it means new allergies. I realize that that's a, a battle for some of us as well. But, but I, I just love springtime because it signifies new. And uh, so I think it's a perfect time for us as a church family to, uh, to launch into a new message series. And so this year, our, our spring message series is gonna be called The Abiding Life, Lessons from the Upper Room. And so what we're gonna do for the next eight to 10 weeks, we'll take a two-week break around Easter, uh, but for eight or 10 weeks, we're just gonna dig into John's gospel. For those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you, you may already know John was, of course, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Many Bible scholars believe he actually was, was likely Jesus' best friend or, or closest friend, so they had a, a really tight relationship. And, uh, and John is recording for us all the things that Jesus said and did. And so we're, we're not gonna, obviously, in eight, eight or 10 weeks, there's no way we could cover the entire uh, gospel, but what we are gonna do is specifically dive into five chapters of John's gospel. So we're gonna be in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, over the next couple of months. And uh, this section of John's gospel is, is commonly referred to by Bible scholars as the farewell discourse, right? Because Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples, return to the Father after his crucifixion and resurrection. And so he's, he's prepping them, he's preparing them for his, his farewell. And so really important content we're gonna be uh, diving into the next eight or 10 weeks. So here, here's the scene before we jump into to John 13 this morning. Uh, it's, it's the night before Jesus is, is crucified, right? And so he, he gathers his disciples together in a room for one final sacred time of friendship and fellowship and, and teaching. And during this time, it's commonly known as the Last Supper. You've probably heard it referred to as this way. Jesus not only instituted what we call in the church communion or the Lord's Supper for the very first time, which by the way, we're gonna be celebrating together uh, right after uh, this sermon. And so I hope you got some elements at the back. If you didn't, feel free to just to get up and go, go grab them right now. If you're home, uh, if you, a good time to go run to the pantry, grab some crackers or some juice or whatever it is and get ready because we're gonna celebrate that in a minute. But this is the scene where Jesus institutes communion or the Lord's Supper for the very first time. He also begins to teach his disciples some really crucial lessons that they would absolutely need as they get prepared to launch into a very hostile post-resurrection world. And so the first lesson that we see right off the bat, man, they just get up into this upper room. They're getting ready to have this last meal together. The very first lesson that Jesus gives them would have been an absolutely shocking lesson. So if you have your Bible, let me encourage you, go ahead and open it up. If you have a device, turn it on. Go to John chapter 13. I never want you to think I'm making anything up, so you, you don't make sure that I'm actually going through the correct scripture. John chapter 13, we're gonna be going through the first 17 verses of uh, 13 today. And as we go, I'll just kind of stop, give you some application points, and we'll work through it, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end. So starting in verse one of chapter 13, this is the Apostle John. 
Now, before the Feast of Passover, now, let me just stop right there for a second. This was a time each year when, when God's people, the Israelites, would uh, celebrate their deliverance from slavery in, in Egypt. And so you can go back in Exodus 12 and, and read about this. You may remember hearing a story when you were a little kid in Sunday school or something like that. But this was a time where um, God's people were told to take a lamb, to sacrifice that lamb, and then to take some blood and put it over the, the doorpost and that the angel of death would, would pass over their house and the firstborn son and really everybody in that household would be saved or they would be spared. Of course, we now look back and we know that was a foreshadowing, a foretelling of the lamb who would come and shed his blood so that anybody who walked through the door of Jesus Christ would also be delivered and be saved. But the Jewish people 2,000 years ago didn't fully understand that. They didn't fully comprehend that. So they're celebrating the fact that, yeah, man, our ancestors were delivered. God delivered us out of Egypt, and so it would have been this big party, this big festival. People would have been coming into Jerusalem from out of town. It would have been a really festive vibe and environment. The city would have been a, bu a buzz, and that's, the, that's kind of the scene where Jesus pulls his disciples in. He knows what's about to go down, and, and he's celebrating this. And So we'll go back to verse one. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, let me pause there just for a moment. This is not one of the main takeaways of, of the message, but it's, it's in there, and so I think it's important. I think John right here wants us to realize how much Jesus loves his disciples. He says he, he loved them, and he loved them to the end. Now, understand, I, I believe that Jesus loves everyone, right? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. But I also think it's important for us to understand there's a, there's a deep kind of sacred love that Jesus has for those who belong to him, right? It's, it's this kind of unconditional love that says, listen, there is, there is nothing that you could ever do to make me love you any less. And this is kind of this consistent refrain in my home where I'm constantly telling my kids that, like, kids, man, I, I love you and it's possible for you at some point in your life to disappoint me, but even in those moments where you disappoint me, my love for you will never change. I love you at the maximum amount now on your good days and on your bad days. And this is the same kind of love Jesus has for us as his disciples. He loves us. And so I just wanna say, man, maybe you're here in the room, maybe you're tuned in online, and maybe that's the one thing you needed to hear today. Maybe you don't hear anything else, this entire message, but you just need to hear this truth. Jesus loves you, friend. Jesus loves you. And I want you to know that if you're here or you're watching online and you don't yet know Jesus, you don't yet belong to him. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you're, uh, you're just kind of exploring the faith. Maybe you're, you're kind of on the fence a little bit, if you're being honest about this whole God thing about this whole Jesus thing, the whole resurrection thing. And I, I want you to know, man, if that's you, we are, we are so thrilled that you're joining in with us this morning. But if that's you, I want, I want you to know that Jesus is after you. He is pursuing you. Why? Because he, he loves you. And listen, sometimes we just need to be reminded that we are loved, don't we? We just need to be reminded that we're loved in spite of our sin, in spite of our past, 
In spite of our present struggles and sin, we have a God who busted into the chaos of our world, who stepped into the messiness of your life and my life, and he wants to love us off the pathway to hell and bring us into life and light. That is our God. And John is reminding us that is the essence and the character of who Jesus Christ is. And that is how he loves his disciples. That is how he loves you. Verse two, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, even if you're new to church, you probably know the story of Judas, right? He's, he's the famous, one of the 12 disciples, uh, followed Jesus for three years, but didn't have a heart transformation, betrays Jesus. You, you guys know the story. Simon's son to betray him, verse three. Jesus, knowing that the father, now, now listen to this language, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now, this is John's way, I believe, of kind of setting the stage for what's about to happen. He's saying, listen, you gotta understand this Jesus guy. He had all power on heaven and on earth. He, this is the guy who had all authority. He is the king of kings. He is God robed in human flesh. Basically, John is saying, Jesus is kind of a big, big deal, y'all. He's kind of a big deal. And as the biggest deal in all of human history, as God wrapped in human flesh, I want you to watch what he does next. This, is, this would have been mind-blowing in the first century, and it really should be mind-blowing for us even now. Look at verse four. Uh, he, Jesus, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Now, you understand what he's doing here is he's, he's taking the position of a servant. He's, he's clothing himself, as a servant, remember, the king of kings, the dude that's got all authority on heaven and earth, right? This is God in human flesh, positioning himself as a servant. Verse five, then he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that he had wrapped around him. Now, I think the danger for us as, as modern day Christians in 2021 is we can kind of read that and just gloss over it and think, oh man, well, that was kind of cute. That was kind of sweet of Jesus. He sprinkled a little bit of fresh water on their feet and wiped it off and it, it's all good. But the reality is you guys know, even nowadays, some of y'all know that some people have some real foot stink, right? Even now, feet can be kind of nasty if we're being honest. I've been around some of you, you pull off your shoes and it smells like rotting cabbage and cottage cheese. I mean, you know, toe jam all over the place. It's, it's nasty. It's nasty even now. That's how you know I love my wife because I rub her feet. I give her foot massage. Now she's the only one, so don't ask because the answer is gonna be no. But even now, feet are kind of, they're just kind of nasty. They're kind of rank, kind of stanky, right? But in the first century, you gotta know, I don't know if you know this or not, they didn't have cars back then. Did you know that? Jesus wasn't driving around in a Bentley to his private jet to fly to his next ministry talk. They had to walk everywhere. And they were walking, by the way, the same roads and the same pathways where all the livestock was and walked. So horses, camels, cows, sheep, pigs. And they wore sandals, right? They didn't have the high top new Jumpman Air Jordans, right? They were, they were in these, these little skimpy sandals, which means they literally we're walking around in animal excrement all the time. Perhaps even at times human excrement, not to mention the dirt and the mud and the trash. 
So at the end of the day, man, their feet were not just stinky, they were, they were literally filthy and unsanitary, literally unsafe for you to touch. Which meant that the job of foot washing, which was an important job because you couldn't go into somebody's house or into the temple or anywhere else with your feet in that condition, that job was always reserved for a slave in the first century. And not only any slave, it was reserved for the lowest slave in each household. So the, the people with no power and no influence in that culture, those were the people who would wash feet. So this is unthinkable that Jesus, the son of God, would kneel down and perform the lowest, most humiliating, disgusting task to serve his disciples. This is unthinkable. I was trying to think of an example this week that would be like a modern equivalent because, we, again, we just, we just don't get it. So the only thing I can think of is maybe if you went into a stall at Walmart after a bunch of people had just gone in there and just kind of blown the thing up and you had to go in there on your hands and knees with a toothbrush and clean the toilet, maybe that would be a similar equivalent to what Jesus is doing here. Disgusting. Son of God. Unthinkable. And keep in mind, Jesus, Jesus knows what's about to happen. In the next 24 hours, Jesus knows that he's about to be arrested. He's about to be absolutely brutally tortured. And within 24 hours, he's gonna be dead, hanging on a cross as people make fun of him and mock him. And instead of expecting his guys to serve him in that moment, look, I'm just gonna be honest, myself, if I know I'm about to go to the cross, I want people serving me. This is my, la this is my last two or three hours of enjoyable life. <laughs> like, man, you guys wash my feet. Y'all take care of me. Give me a little neck massage as I eat. You know, take care of me, but not Jesus. He's not demanding that others serve him at this point. In fact, what is he doing? He's thinking about his guys. He's thinking about how he can, he can love his dudes. He's thinking about how he can model for them what his kingdom is going to be like. He's thinking about, man, how can I teach them what my kingdom is all about? So watch verse 12. We're gonna skip ahead and then come back. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? Now he's asking them this question because clearly they do not get it. They don't understand what Jesus has just done. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so am I. So he's saying, yes, I am, I am the Messiah. I am the King of Kings. I am the Son of God. You are right for calling me these things. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, whenever you hear those two words from Jesus, that means pay attention. What I'm about to say is really, really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant, you guys, my disciples, are not greater than his master, me, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, Jesus' kingdom has rightly, I believe, been called the upside-down kingdom, right? Because the reality is everything that the world tells us about happiness and success and power and having others serve us, Jesus kind of takes that and flips that script on its head. He goes, no, 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 no. In my kingdom, the way up is down. In my kingdom, leading means serving. Gaining means losing. True wealth is found in giving away, not keeping for yourself. And you actually find your life by laying it down, by losing your life. And this is lesson number one in, in Jesus' school of the upside down kingdom. Now listen, if you're here, you're tuned in, you're, you're, you're in the room and you're wondering, man, what does it look like to follow Jesus? 
I hear people talking about God and the Bible and Jesus, all this stuff, and I'm kind of on the fence about all this. What does it actually practically mean to follow after Jesus, to be a Christian, to abide in him? Well, here you go. He's gonna lay it out for us in, in an incredibly clear way over the course of the next five chapters. So I wanna give you just three this morning principles of the upside down kingdom of Jesus. That's all we have time for. Three principles of the upside down kingdom of Jesus. Here's, here's number one, Christian. The way up is always down. The way up is always down. And what Jesus, I believe, is saying to his disciples here is, listen, I'm stooping to the lowest level to serve you so that you will understand that as my disciples, this is what I want you to be about in the world. I want you to serve one another. I want you to sacrifice for each other. I want you to lay down your very life serving others as a living picture of the God who stooped down to wash you when you were trapped in your filth, in your sin. And listen, believer, we've got to understand that Jesus didn't turn away from us in our filth, in our sin, right? Instead, he went to the cross and cleansed us at our worst with his own blood. Church, that, that, is, that is who our God is. Our God is the God who kneels, who, who serves rebels to make them sons and daughters in his kingdom. And so let me just ask you if you're here and you would claim to be, you would profess to be a follower of Jesus, are you living a life of serving others right now? Like if I were just to ask maybe the five people that were closest to you and I said, hey, give me, give me Tom's five attributes that best describe his life. Give me Susie's five top attributes that define her life. Would one of them be they are huge servants? They just, they just live to serve other, they don't expect anybody to serve them, to wait on them, they, they just, they give their lives away to serve other people as a picture of the God who knelt down to serve and to cleanse them. Would that be the, the way those around you would describe your life? What Jesus is saying is, friend, listen, the way up is down in my kingdom. My kingdom values are the opposite of the values of uh, this world. So all this is, is going down, right? Jesus starts to wash the disciples' feet. Seems like all is going well in the narrative until Jesus gets to Peter. Don't you love Peter, right? If you're new to the Bible, Peter's kind of the, the trigger man. He's the, uh, he's the ringleader of the disciples. Uh, the thing I like about Peter is, he is he's a go big or go home kind of dude, right? He's got a foot-shaped hole in his mouth, just always getting himself in trouble. Now we see later on in the New Testament, um, after the resurrection, Jesus really, he, he literally transforms Peter from this blue collar coward to one of the most fearless, ferocious leaders the Christian movement has ever seen. But where we're at right now in the text, he's not there yet. Peter, Peter's not quite there. Look at, look at what happens next in verse six. So he comes to Peter. We're not sure if Peter's like number six in the line, number eight in the line, maybe the last one. We, we don't know. As he comes to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? So apparently, according to the text, it seems like the other, and I find this hilarious, the other disciples apparently were totally cool with Jesus washing their feet. I just kind of picture, you know, like James and John, some of these guys sitting there just kind of thinking like, dang, I, I guess I am kind of a big deal. I mean, I always thought I kind of was anyway, but here Jesus is, the Son of God, and he is washing my feet. Man, I have arrived, all right? Hey, Jesus, you missed a little spot there on the pinky toe, if you could handle that for me, bro. They're all cool with it, apparently, which is just crazy to me. 
But he gets to Peter, and Peter's like, hold up. Don't touch my feet, Jesus. You think I'm going to let you clean my feet? You are, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the King of kings. You are, you are the Lord of lords. Jesus, there is, I'm going to be washing your feet. There's no way I'm letting you touch my stanky feet. Now, I, I love, I love how much Peter loves Jesus. He doesn't always get it right, but this cat loves Jesus. In fact, historical tradition tells us that many years later, uh, Peter was, was martyred. Uh, he, was, he was murdered for his, his faith in Jesus. And after watching his, his wife being crucified, historical tradition tells us that right before Peter is crucified, he asked them to flip the cross upside down because he did not feel worthy to die in the same way that Jesus died. Right? Our man Peter doesn't always get it right, but man, does he love God, right? He loved Jesus. I love that about Peter. Now watch, watch verse seven. Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. He's stubborn, right? So Peter still doesn't get it. He's digging his heels in. Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm gonna wash your feet. No, 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 you are not gonna wash my feet, Jesus. Jesus answered him. And at this point, I just kind of picture Jesus looking up at Peter with a little sly grin, you know. You're cute, man. You're really cute. Loving his heart for this brother. He says this. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now things got really serious really quickly, right? Things just escalated really, really quickly. And Jesus, what Jesus is doing is beginning to paint this picture for Peter of a spiritual reality. And what he's saying is, Peter, you don't understand this now, but this is not just about me washing your feet, brother. This is, what I'm doing is a picture of, of what I'm about to do for you because I'm about to go to the cross I'm about to lay down my life for you to wash you and make you clean once and for all. Peter, I'm gonna shed my blood to wash away your sin and your guilt and your shame forever and ever. And so when Jesus says to Peter, if I don't wash you, bro, you have no share with me, here's what he's saying. And this is the second principle in the upside down kingdom of Jesus. Number two, and some of you guys need to hear this clearly this morning. Number two, you cannot make yourself clean, friend. You cannot make yourself clean. Now our world is full of people who are trying to wash themselves. Full of people trying to make themselves clean before God and other people. So many people out there, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're one of them who spend their entire lives just trying to be a good person. Either through religion or their own efforts. I mean, a lot of people now, man, the, the one thing they'll say is I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not religious. And, and, and that's fine, but listen, religion and kind of your own efforts to make yourself clean, those are just two different sort of ways to the same destination. We're all just trying to find ways to make ourselves clean. And so all these people are out there either through religion or through their own efforts, just trying to work harder, just trying, to, just trying harder and straining and striving. And the, the hope, the kind of mindset is this, man, one day when I get, if there is a God, and I stand before this God, supposing there is a God, as long as, long as I, have, I have more good things in my life than I have bad things in my life, kind of the idea is there's gonna be this, this heavenly uh, 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 scale, right? So as long as I did one more good thing than I did bad, then, then God's gonna have to let me in, right? That's kind of the, a common myth or conception out there in our culture today. 
And the problem with that is the message of Scripture from Genesis to the book of Revelation is that we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of our sin, your sin, my sin, is death and separation from a perfect and holy God in a place called hell. The message of the scriptures is that we have all polluted our hearts and our minds with sin and there is absolutely nothing we can do to fix ourselves or wash ourselves or make ourselves clean enough to stand before a perfect and holy God one day. We need to be washed. Friend, you need Jesus to wash you. You need him to save you, to redeem you, to cleanse you, to set you free in life. And so I just wanna say, whatever it is that you come into this room or you join our broadcast, whatever it is that you kinda, you kinda feel like is your greatest need this morning. And listen, I know, man, some of y'all have some serious health concerns right now. You're working through some things physically. Others of you, you come here and, and you've got financial needs and financial concerns. And you're just like, man, I don't know how I'm gonna, I don't know how I'm gonna dig out of this hole. I don't know how I'm gonna handle this. Others of you come here with relational problems and you're just, things aren't good at home, man. Things aren't good with the wife, they're not good with the husband, not good with the kids, roommate, whatever it is. And I don't wanna minimize any of those things that you come in the room with. I got my own things that I come in here with that are on my mind and we all got those things and we think our needs and we're working through those things and we're processing, but regardless of what you come in here needing this morning, I need you to understand that you have no bigger need this morning in your life than being washed by the Savior. No greater need at all. It reminds me of a couple of, uh, for those of you who grew up in, in the church like I did, Reminds me of a couple of hymns that we used to sing when I was a, a little boy. So if you grew up in the church, you maybe know some of these. There was a real famous one uh, called Nothing But the Blood. Some of you guys may, may remember that. I just wanna read a little, little part of it. Some of you will know it. I'm not gonna sing it to you. You can thank me later. What, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's another one called There is a Fount. It goes like, that. It goes like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't wash yourself, Peter. You need me to wash you. And so I'm just gonna ask you, friend, will you, will you stop trying to clean yourself up before God? Will you stop trying to wash yourself? Jesus didn't say, hey, listen, the only way that you can have a part with me is to be sinless. Thank God he didn't say that, amen? He didn't say, hey, the only way you can have a part with me in my kingdom is to be a Bible scholar and have everything memorized and have all your theology just right, to never make any mistakes in your life. Praise God. No, he, he simply said, to have a part with me, you have to receive my salvation. Let me wash you. Let me cleanse you. Let me make you new. Let me give you a new heart and a new life and a new mission in this world. Now, Peter doesn't quite get it yet. He's, he's, still, he's still learning. Look at verse nine. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Again, you gotta love Peter, right? 
He's like, man, if, uh, if the only way I can be with you, Jesus, is for you to wash me. Don't just wash me. Don't stop with my feet, brother. Let me go ahead and take my shirt off. Give me a bath, man. Just sponge bath me up. Wash my whole body. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is uh, completely clean. And you, that, that you right there in the Greek is actually plural. So Jesus is saying y'all, and y'all are clean. He's talking to the 12, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why I said not all, all of you are clean. And so Jesus is saying, hey, there are 11 of you guys in the room right now who are clean. There's one of you who is unclean, that's Judas. So what he's saying is, hey, Peter, you're, you're clean, man. You're already completely clean. You have received my salvation, but, you still, but, but here's the thing, Peter. You still need my daily cleansing in your life. And what I think Jesus is getting at here is that even for those of us who have trusted Jesus, even for those of us who believe, for those of us who would say, yes, we are all in, man. We are, we are team Jesus all the way. Listen, we still have sin in our life that needs to be dealt with consistently on the daily. Now, if you don't believe me, listen, I want you to listen to what the Apostle John writes elsewhere. This is in 1 John, another book in the New Testament that he wrote. This will be on the screens for you. This is what John, and again, understand he's writing to believers here, right? This is what he says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to, look, same language there, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Ouch. Now here's the sad reality that I see far too often. I see, I see far too many Christians and the sequence in their spiritual journey is this. They get saved and almost immediately they stop growing. Get saved, excited for a week, excited for a month, excited for six months, maybe if you're lucky a year, and then they stop growing. See, they, they get washed, but they don't invest in the daily cleansing that we all need to keep growing spiritually. And so consequently, we have all these Christians that just kind of litter the church in the West, and they really are spiritually stunted Christians. And they just kind of thought the deal was over the day that they gave their life to Jesus. So five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whenever it was, they're just kind of like mission accomplished. I prayed some prayer, I gave my life to Jesus, I can just get back to living my life the way that I wanna live my life. And so consequently, we have all these Christians out there that have been saved for 10, 15, 20 years that are just infant Christians, stunted in their growth. I remember in, in middle school, I got really excited because I love sports growing up, love football, basketball, especially. And in sixth grade, I, I, I just started growing, man. I had this huge growth spurt in middle school. And um, I was, by the time I was in eighth grade, I was one of the tallest, biggest kids in my class. And so on our football team, my, my first year that I played, I actually played on the defensive line, if you could Im imagine, you know? And um, so I, I was full beard by the time I was in eighth grade and thought I was hot stuff. I had dreams of playing college football, you know, all, all this stuff. And the only problem was that was, was by the time I got in ninth grade, I was done growing. I mean, I was like, I was done. <laughs> and, and all these little shrimps that I've been playing with for the last three years, they kept growing in 10th grade, in 11th grade, in 12th grade. And so by the time we were older, man, I was only playing positions for like little people on the football team, quarterback and running back and all these different things, right? 
Now, what happened? Why did that? I, I stopped growing. I stopped growing. And you need to understand that in the Christian life, God has not designed your spiritual journey to be like that. We're not designed to kind of reach this pinnacle and then just stop growing. And so I just want to be very, very clear with you this morning that there is no neutral place in the Christian life. Did you know that? See, I think, I think that's where a lot of us kind of get it twisted. We kind of think, man, we, we reach this certain point and we can just kind of shift down into neutral and coast in life, and that is false. You need to understand that you are either growing closer to Jesus in your walk right now or you are absolutely drifting away from him. There is no middle ground. You are growing or you are drifting and what Peter needed to see, and I think we need to see, is that even though he was completely clean, his daily sin still needed to be dealt with on a consistent basis. Which leads us to our, our third and final principle in the upside down kingdom of Jesus. Number three, even Jesus followers, even Christians need daily cleansing. So Christian, let me just ask you, man, are you, are you allowing Jesus to intersect with your life daily? Or do you just kind of tune in online for an hour or come to this place in this room for an hour and you get kind of your Jesus fix, you get your Christianity dose and then you just kind of shift back down into neutral and drift Monday through Saturday? Or do you allow Jesus to really powerfully, personally, relationally intercept and intersect your life and empower you every single day to live and love and grow and serve other people around you? Are you growing? Are you a stunted baby Christian just living a half-baked spiritual life that really is not what God has designed for you? Jesus wraps it up in verse 17. He says this to his guys before he goes to the cross. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? If you know them, if you memorize them, if you write them down on your notebook, if you post them on Instagram or social media, no, no, no. Blessed are you, not if you just know these things, not if you just memorize these things, blessed are, do, are you if you do them, if you practice these things, if you live these things out. And that word blessed in the Greek literally means to be supremely happy or content. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's what I want for my life. I wanna be supremely happy and content. And Jesus is saying, this is the pathway to that life. It's a paradox. It doesn't make sense. The world says, you do you. You serve you. You be all about you. And Jesus says, no. In my kingdom, you give your life away for other people. And that's how you're going to find supreme happiness and contentment. This is the upside down kingdom of Jesus. If you want to be happy, don't live for yourself. Live for other people. Don't try to clean yourself up. Let Jesus wash you and cleanse you and save you, and then spend the rest of your life growing and allowing Jesus daily, not just on Sundays, but daily to, to connect with you and commune with you and wash away your sin as you learn to love, live, and serve other people as a picture of the God who knelt down to serve and cleanse you. So as I think about the depths of what we've just read, man, I, I think back Think back to a 20-year-old in college. A man who was on the path to destruction. I was loving my sin. Right on the pathway directly to hell. 
until the God of this universe stooped down and said, no, 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 he's, he's mine. He's mine. And he pursued me in my filth, the point in my life when I least deserved his love and his cleansing and he came after me and he delivered me and he plucked me from the kingdom of darkness and placed me into the kingdom of light and life. And so friend, let me just ask you one question for your consideration as we close. Have you been washed by the Savior? Have you been washed by the Savior? And I'm not asking you if you're religious. And I'm not asking you if you're churchy or if you grew up in church or if you know some stuff about the Bible. Because remember, Judas was in the same room. Judas spent three years with Jesus. He heard the same lessons. He saw Jesus perform the same miracles. And on the outside, Judas looked just the same as the other guys. We would have looked at Judas and we would have thought, man, that dude's got it together. That man is godly. He's given up everything to follow Jesus. In our, in our terms, man, we would say, man, Judas is a great churchgoer. Maybe he sings in the band. Maybe he's a small group leader. Man, he tithes every single month. This guy's a spiritual man. He's a godly man. He loves Jesus. But come to find out, it was all a show. And he looked good on the outside, but on the inside, his heart was rotten and his heart was far from Jesus. And he was on the pathway to hell. And so I don't care if you grew up in church. I don't care if you have all the right answers. I don't, I don't care about any of that stuff. My only question for you this morning is, have you been washed by the Savior? Has your life been transformed by the God of this universe? Do you know God? Or do you just know about God? Because those are two completely separate things. And I would just say, friend, if you're here, if you're in the room, if you're tuned in to our live stream services, and you would have to honestly answer, no, 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 I know a lot about Jesus, man. I, I go to church, all these things, but I, I don't think I've ever encountered Jesus in a way that's completely wrecked me and changed me and transformed me. I don't believe I've been watched by the Savior. If that's you, I'm just gonna invite you in a moment to pray a prayer with me. I'm gonna invite you to reach out to us, whether you're online, in the room. We would love nothing more than to walk you through that process of what it looks like to really engage the God of this universe and know him and have the Savior wash you and cleanse you and make you new and whole in his kingdom. That's what he wants for you. And let me just say, if you're here and you would answer yes, like, yeah, I have been washed by the Savior. I know, I know Jesus. I am all in let me just say, here's, here's, a, here's a challenge for you. If you're part of our faith family, you're part of Team Jesus. My challenge for you is to find one person to serve this week as a picture of the God who served you. Find one person to serve, this, not next week, not next month, not when you get more time, not when COVID died. Find, find one way this week to serve somebody in your life as a picture of the God who knelt down to serve you and cleanse you. Let me give you three categories to kind of think through when you think about serving somebody. One is, is at home. I want you to think about who can I serve in my home? Maybe your spouse, dudes, get up off the couch, man, at night. Clean the dishes, get the kids to bed, help mama out. Parents, how can you serve your kids? Kids, how can you serve your parents at home? So that's one category. Be thinking about who can I serve in my own home? 
as a picture of the God who served me. Second category I want you to consider is serving somebody in the body of Christ. Who do you know that's a part of this body who could really use to, just some, some practical love, some service this week? I don't know, maybe, maybe you're starting to come back. We're starting to get more people that are coming back to our in-person gatherings as virus num- numbers plummet, more people get vaccinated. And maybe you'd say, man, I, I just need to serve my body by volunteering in the preschool department or with our security team or with the coffee ministry or with our, our next guest services. Or I, just, I know I need to find a way to serve the body of Christ. Well, let us know. We got plenty of places to plug you in, I promise you. And then the third category beyond home and the body is your community. Outside your home, outside the church, think about somebody. Maybe you work with them. Maybe you go to school with them. You're you're sitting in the same classroom. Maybe they're in your neighborhood. Think of somebody that you can serve in your community this week. Find one way. And if you do, according to the word of Jesus, you will be blessed. You will be supremely happy and content. Glory be to God. Let's pray and then we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. Father, we come to you and we are grateful that Jesus came into this busted up world of ours. He loved us when we were dirty, nasty, in our sin, loving our sin, to teach us that the way up in his kingdom is down. So God, would would you teach us that the ways of the world are not the ways of your kingdom? Would you teach us to to walk away, to turn away from the value system of the world so that we could embrace a higher system of living? God, would you teach us that we absolutely cannot wash ourselves? There is nothing we can do to make ourselves clean enough to stand before a perfect and holy God. And so Father, I pray if there's, there's anybody here in the room online, God, that hasn't yet been cleansed by the Savior, that they would just cry out, even right now, in this moment, just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up, and I know I keep trying to work harder and be a better person and clean myself and cleanse myself, and I know it's not working. It's not working. I need Jesus. Jesus, will you come into my life? Will you save me? Will you cleanse me? Will you wash me? Will you give me a new life? Will you set me on a new path? Will you give me a new mission? And if you pray that from your heart, he's gonna answer you. He's gonna answer you. So I just, if you pray in that prayer right now, my encouragement for you would be that you just reach out and let us know so that we can walk this path with you. And God, for those of us who already know you, would you teach us that we need your daily cleansing in our life, God? That we can't just put our spiritual lives in neutral because when we do that, we drift away from you. We don't drift towards you. That's our sin nature, God. We, we need that daily encounter with you. We need to abide in you, Father. So would you teach us those disciplines so that we could walk out the life that you have for us? And we pray all of these things in the beautiful name of your son, our savior, Jesus, amen.